Do you have a client-based business that needs streamlining? Acuity Scheduling, a Squarespace company, is a scheduling tool you never know you needed, but you always wanted. No more mixing up time zones for remote meetings, reduce your no-show appointments, and keep everything organized in one hub. We here at Popter Lounge are avid users of Acuity Scheduling and a proud affiliate. Sign up for Acuity Scheduling today. Visit the link in this episode's blog post to sign up for an account. Hey, this is Matt from Belmont. You're about to listen to my interview with Steph on Pop Nerd Lounge. Welcome to Pop Nerd Lounge, the podcast for the creative soul. I'm your host, Steph Pham. Can you believe it, guys? We reached the season seven finale of Pop Nerd Lounge. This has been an incredible season filled with so many amazing conversations. And if you want more amazing conversations like this, please let us know and follow us wherever you stream podcasts. My guest today is part of a collective called Belmont. They're known for their epic soundscapes and their orchestral details in their music. We talk about his time spent writing in the foothills of the French Alps. We talk about when he considered himself a legit musician. And we talk about the importance of embracing the beginning of your career. This is Matt Belmont. Welcome to Pop Neuron Lounge. My guest today is Matt Belmont. Matt, thank you so much for joining me. You're welcome. It's good to uh, it's good to meet you. What drew you into pursuing music? I've always been obsessed with music. I'm, my brother was obsessed with with buying different albums, CDs. He went to America uh, for the first time when he was he's about twelve years older than me. He went to America for the first time when he was about eighteen nine, or nineteen, and he came back. He took an extra suitcase so he could bring back a, a suitcase full of CD albums. And I just remember just pouring over them, listening to lots of different ones. So yeah, I was always obsessed with it in that way. But as far as performing goes, when I was maybe nine years old, I was at school and we had these, I don't know if you guys have school assemblies. Do you have assemblies? Yes, we, the- yeah, we do. I remember being so hype at those when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was in one of those. And, and the music teacher, I hadn't actually, I don't think I'd had any music lessons which kind of entailed anything other than clapping along or here's a tambourine, make some noise. And, and this new music teacher came in and gave a performance on the school piano of a classical piece. I, I can't recall which one. But I remember just being like so inspired. Like it's my first memory of being inspired by anything and running home and and just pestering my parents for a piano. I want a piano, I want a piano for months until eventually they caved and they got this old, this old, it was like a former ship's piano. So it was like bolted together and almost, it was simultaneously bolted together and falling apart somehow. But but yeah, I start, I got lessons from the lady across the road and started playing piano and, and I would always just sit there for hours Every time that they got me to do my 10 minutes practice, it would turn into hours. Yeah, and I've just, ever since I got, I felt that kind of magic of being able to to make some music myself, then I've just been obsessed with it. And then that led into guitars, songwriting. When my first girlfriend broke up with me, I wrote a song called Canadian Friend, which is the worst song in the history of songwriting, but it got me started. And yeah, and, and it's, it's just been a channel for me, an outlet ever since. You spoke a little bit about how you got started into playing and whatnot. What artists were you listening to growing up? and How did that influence you in your music? When I was a kid, it was a strange thing because my dad has amazing music taste and my mom also has great music taste. So the stuff that I was accidentally listening to, because my parents just had it on passively listening to, was was the, the stuff which is now like the all-time greats of like Fleetwood Mac, Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, Queen... Known Simon and Garfunkel, 
And then I rebelled by listening to like terrible stuff. I was like, I'm going to listen to Robbie Williams. Um, <laughs> I'll show you, Dad. So I went through a few years of just listening to to whatever was manufactured and, and put out there in my kind of, I guess that, that would probably be ages like 10 to 13 or something. And then I discovered bands like Oasis. And and then as I got into to college, which is our age 16 to 18, then I started, there was this whole indie movement in the uk which i started with american bands really the strokes and the killers and then bands like the arctic monkeys the kooks all of that stuff i, I really got into that and i started my first band uh, where we would cover those songs and we would pretend that we were those rock stars and uh, yeah that was as i was writing terrible songs myself so until i could it's definitely been like a craft songwriting for me that i've picked up and learned and got better at over time and i'm finally happy with what i write but it took a while so yeah, I had to go through that process. Yeah, it's definitely a journey because I remember whether it was dancing or whether it was like my first steps into theater, your first introductions to any craft, you're, you cringe at, you're like, oh my God, what was I doing back then? Yeah. Yeah. And then you just reflect on that and you're like, wow, I've actually kind of grown. If you, yeah. Look at, yeah, you look at the journey, you're like, oh my God, you developed and you honed those skills and you're like, oh my gosh, I actually developed an artist journey or whatever yeah the whole journey is so important and it's so rarely talked about because everybody when if some if an artist gets to that stage where suddenly like they're revered or they they've got this whole mis mystery around them of like how is that person so good wow they're so naturally gifted it's a gift from god or or whatever then we discount that process and i think that's actually quite discouraging for for those people who are coming in i remember being young and thinking how will i ever be as good as these people that, that I love. How will I ever get there? Because they never seem to be terrible. I can't find any videos of them where they're terrible. And I think we bury it. And it's maybe important not to. Like all my old, but I busked for years and years and all my old busking videos are out there. For anyone to see my whole journey, just look at the year and, and my voice gets gradually stronger and suddenly I start playing my own songs and it gets better and better. And I think it's very encouraging and inspiring to see that when I've seen it from artists that I follow. Oh, absolutely. I think you're right. Like, it's not documented a whole lot. Like, everybody puts out their highlight reel or, like, the best versions of themselves. So you don't mm -hmm. really get to see that growth. You don't get to see that development. And then it's really important to know that we artists make mistakes. We're human. We yeah. make mistakes. And then, like, we learn from them and we get better and better. And I think it's really important to learn that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and when we look back to the the, the, the great musicians and bands from the 60s and 70s like the if you do your research so you find that the Beatles disappeared to Hamburg for years and I'm sure they were terrible at first and suddenly they came back so well rehearsed and so well practiced and there's this whole idea around the Beatles of just like these guys were just born and they could do it and no it's a process work hard and you reap what you sow. How would you describe your sound to someone who's never heard your music? It's the, the problem is I had all these words that now everybody uses and it's just like cliches falling out of my mouth. We're cinematic and we're like ethereal, but it's just, it's lyric, lyrics and melody at the foundation. Like the songs will work on an acoustic guitar or piano, like they're always written that way. And then production wise, there's, there's big epic sound soundscapes. And yeah, I say that it's like Coldplay meets Bon Iver. If you find the midpoint between those two bands, that's, that's what we're trying to do. I love that. I think in my review of your uh, song Hollow, I think I called you guys like a marriage between Coldplay and Mumford and Sons. I think I kind of like oh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that works too. Yeah. I remember reading that actually. Yeah, yeah, like it's just, yeah, that's good. It's just so like 
soothing and calming, but then you also get like emotive and like really sentimental lyrics. And I just, I love that. I love the storytelling in well, your music. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, do you write songs? Or what is your background, if you'd mind talking about yourself for um, a second? <laughs> no, I don't mind at all. I'm actually a journalist. So I, I went to school for journalism. I'm an avid music fan, but like I went to school for journalism. And yeah, cool. that's where my path has taken me. I definitely want to do this more later on. I definitely want to have more conversations with artists and unpacking their journey because I think it's so important to people that they know that they're not mm -hmm. alone because I yeah. feel like a lot of creatives, they're discouraged to pursue the arts because, oh, it's not stable. It's not the career that you could be super duper successful at, even though a lot of us are in a sense. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like I definitely want to continue that. I definitely want to show people that creatives are valid in the entertainment industry. Yeah, it's a, it's we had this whole conversation in the UK of around everything that's been happening right now and the economic stimulus and who gets with what money and the creative industry was forgotten about for a while that, and and the whole conversation of we actually contribute billions per year to the economy which to the UK economy is a lot yeah don't forget us don't let everything die in the meantime keep the theaters alive keep the artists working because otherwise you have this giant exodus of of talent that has to find other work and may never come back and that can be everything from the people who are incredible lighting designers in the theater or in live stage shows who are also incredible electricians and they end up going and working as electricians instead of lighting guys and when we want to start up and you want to go and see a show suddenly you have to watch it in the dark because there's no lighting guy <laughs> no uh, no you make an, a valid point and the, we've been talking about that because like in during quarantine you can't really go anywhere and so what did you, you turn to netflix you turn to music you turn to books or whatever mm -hmm. and so yeah in a way that was essential to keep you sane and so like yeah. yeah people we have to remember that whenever there wasn't much to do like we had our limitations we turned to the arts and entertainment yeah. to like feed our souls essentially and yeah we got to remember that you know we're essential too we're essential too. yeah it connects us yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's so important at times like this i certainly turned to art of all different types and have done in the last few months so yeah i agree with you completely and i think it's a great thing that you're doing highlighting that as well and also as a legit journalist having a, a podcast with all these, with you can, I can tell by your questions, they come thick and fast. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. So I love that Belmont can take many forms. How did you know that you wanted to perform beyond being a solo act? Because I did just guy with guitar before, before this project. I did the folk singer-songwriter thing. And one, it gets a bit lonely and it gets a little bit restrictive it's almost like being an actor who's typecast the second that you want to start and start experimenting with beats and different soundscapes and production styles people start to go hey wait a second just stick to your guitar and let's maybe have a cello and a piano in there but don't go any further <laughs> i wanted the freedom also i i have these ben and chris uh, who play in the band with me uh, incredible musicians with great ideas and amazing capabilities to take this sound help me take this sound to where I wanted to go and I felt like it would be a shame to just stick them in black t-shirts and have them stand in the shadows <laughs> it really does vary there are times when when I just show up like today where I just show up to interview or even to a show it varies on on what's appropriate for that setting but I really love it when it's the three of us and I love the fact that we can be this collective or I can it but it doesn't it's like to me, Belmont is not this thing where I feel like I have, I'll have to leave it one day to do a solo career because 
we seem to have found this like hybrid where it works always and it started as just me the songs that the first year or two was just me and then and then once we started trying to put together a real live show I brought the guys in so it's not something I'm regretting yet but uh, but yeah I like that it can take all forms and I'd like it to take even more forms if there are any symphonic orchestras out there that want to uh, <laughs> send me a message I've got some ideas oh my god that'd be amazing I, I kind of yeah. love having that cinematic or symphonic sound in music nowadays because just because it's mm-hmm. so rare you rarely hear live instrumentation in music these days because everything's so digitally produced and so it'd mm-hmm. be really cool to hear more of that orchestral sound in mainstream yeah. music these days I totally agree. There's a band called the Cinematic Orchestra that have done an amazing uh, job of that at times, and also with the visuals that that match. We're trying to we're building on what we've seen and what's inspired us, and I think that's that applies with any creative in in any area. You when you start to become successful as a creative is when you realise that you don't have to just be weird and different. You have to just really hone into that filter that is you, that is unique to you. Everything that you, t- you took in the, the back seats of your parents' cars when they were playing Fleetwood Mac and Queen, and the way that comes out 20 years later or 10 years later or whatever, is, yeah, is what you have. So hone in on that, I think. I read in your bio that you spent time writing in the foothills of the French Alps. And how did that time of creative development shape your music? Yeah, it was, so that came at a period of, so I moved to, let me, I'll go a little bit further back than that, and I'll try and quickly get to that, but I, so I did the folk singer-songwriter thing, I got to a point where I had a second EP ready, and I was working on it, and I was doing the production myself, and and I remember getting to a point where I had to listen to what I had so far, and I realised that I didn't really love my own music, it was like, it was okay, but I felt like if someone played it to me, I wouldn't be blown away uh, if it wasn't my own music. So I, that was when I really started to view the whole thing as a craft and be like, how can I learn how to be a better songwriter? I feel like I have good ideas, but I don't know how to get there yet. So I just, I went through a year, maybe 18 months of just co-writing with other people for other people, with almost my only rule just being that whatever we did wasn't for me which took the pressure off. It allowed me to look at things from a, a whole different side. And I hadn't co-written at all before then. I got to the end of that 18-month period, and I had a few ideas that I hadn't even la- allowed myself to make into songs because I, they felt like me. So I was like, I'm going to have to lift the ban and start trying to make make these into songs. So, yeah, a, a friend of, of mine has a, a house in the the foothills of the French Alps, it's, it sounds way, it's way fancy and it is, it's beautiful, but it's not like, it's not a giant mansion or anything. It's just a really, it's like a stone house in a valley. And, and yeah, they, it wasn't, they just bought it. They hadn't really renovated it properly yet. And, and they allowed me and my girlfriend at the time, fiance now, to go down and, uh, and, and stay there for a while. And uh, yeah, I sat in this room and just with my equipment and, and started to work on these little ideas I had and they turned into songs which then found their way onto private Spotify links which found their way to Nashville which resulted in my relationship with my producer and yeah what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> how did it shape your music? How did, yeah. that sh- how did it shape the music? Yeah I came up with the name of Belmont there uh, obviously my surname is Belmont but uh, the different kind of approach to that of the it's so B-E-L-E um, space M-T period so it's <laughs> bell mount like beautiful mountain there while looking at some beautiful mountains and and making these epic soundscapes it just it helped me to cement what the sound was going to be and have a visual 
to the sound. I think of these ep of epicness. I think of these beautiful pictures of the Alps and the mountains and the clouds and volcanoes and whatever when I'm writing the music now. And it really helps me have a sound because, yeah, we have, when producing music especially, once you finish the song, you have so many infinite possibilities when you just have Logic on your laptop. You can put any instrument on with a MIDI keyboard and Logic. You'd need to set boundaries for yourself and be like, no, this is what I sound like. I don't sound like... Balinese gamelan on my music or whatever, which is <laughs> an instrument I keep seeing in my contact library, which I don't know what it is, but I, I don't sound like that. <laughs> I sound like epic piano with distortion and lots of reverb or whatever. I think that helped. <laughs> I think that was it. <laughs> you released a remade version of your song, Hollow Acoustic, and what made you want to breathe new life into this track? The Just the reception that it had has blown me away, blown all of us away. We had this whole plan for a slow build and we'll put hollow out and then we'll, it's just about, for me, it's about writing songs and as you write the songs, honing in on the, that feeling that it gives you in your chest. And you, follow, you follow that feeling that it gives you in your chest. This song connects with me. If it connects with me, I just have to find the other people on my wavelength that it will connect with. So I had this that whole idea of a very slow build. We'll find some of those people and then those people will tell their friends and then we'll release another song. And as long as the quality is there and the songs are great, eventually we'll slowly build up to an audience. And, and then Hollow came out first song and it was on New Music Friday US and some giant playlists. And it just surprised, like completely blindsided us, took us out of the blue. And, uh, and so then we, we continued the plan as best we could, but I always felt like it, it deserved a new lease of life. It could do even more. Have it after it had that initial re reception. I felt if we can just put more into it, it we can get more out of it. And it deserves this big epic mix. And yeah, it just it felt like I didn't want to leave it at, as like that. Just did that. I wanted to take it and, and see how far it could go. Yeah, it's almost like telling a different story when you add different elements to it. Yeah. yeah. Like it's a breathing, like you said, like breathing new life into it. And how has the feedback been like from the first version to now? The co comment wise and fans wise and from all directions, the feedback has been really great on this new version. People love that song. And, and ever since it came out, it's, it hasn't really been mine anymore. It's, it belongs to the people who get attached to it. So that was my, that was the worry that I had, that I would ruin it. <laughs> and if anyone emailed me and said, I hate this new version, where is the old one? I'd just send them the MP3 because I don't want to ruin it for them if it's, because these songs be hopefully become punctuation marks in people's lives. I was a bit worried about that, but yeah, I haven't had an email like that yet. I've had people saying, wow, I love the new version. It sounds, it has all the parts I love about the old one, but it sounds bigger and better. So yeah, I'm delighted at that. I'm delighted at that. And we left Hollow Acoustic up for the people who love that one. So uh, we haven't touched that one. <laughs> and how does a musician make something fresh and not really relevant, but they make it relevant for the mass consumption? I think for me, from my point of view, I just really like pop music. But when I think pop music, I think of what was pop music, like great pop songs, Dancing in the Dark by Bruce Springsteen. I think of songs like that as pop music and it, they're songs that you would just hear at weddings and parties and they, they were there throughout like the, your time growing up and then suddenly you hit an age where you, as a musician anyway, I sat at a piano and, and started playing around with that song with the chords and, and singing along with it and, and I was like, wow, this, the lyrics are so are great, they're, they're beautiful and there's so many songs like that. So that's what I'm trying to do with Bowman. I'm trying to, to have songs that on the first listen, you're like, wow, I love this song. I don't know why, but I love it. 
but there's a lot of depth if you want to look for it. If you want to scratch it, like I've poured a lot of myself into it. And, and it's there if you want it, if you want to find it. I love it. So, yeah. Yeah, I love it. So that re-listen factor, that where you, that kind of the Easter egg thing where you didn't catch it the first time, but then you listen yeah. to it again and then you hear it. Love that. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And to hear that, that, or that if you've had that from our music, then I'm, I'm delighted to hear it because it's there on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> What's one thing in music that you're grateful for? Everything. Just the ability to do it, really. I was on like a whole mission to prove that I could for a long time just to prove that it was possible like you say that everything you're trying to do with this podcast of of show people that it is possible and it is a valid career and it isn't just a doesn't just have to be some pipe dream yeah the fact that I'm at the stage that I'm at now and and we're at the stage that we're at now as a project is mind-blowing to me I'm so happy with it because I as I said I busked on streets I played at people's weddings I did anything I could to say that yes, this is my income, this is my career. And then all the free time in the week from not doing a nine to five job that afforded me, I spent practicing songwriting, practicing my instrument, like honing my craft. So to now be able to be like, my own music is my job. I would say that's, that is something that makes me very grateful, yeah. I remember leaving university, finishing university and saying, I've got two milestones. One is to be able to say that I make all of my own money from music. And the next one is to be able to say I make all of my own music money from my own music that I wrote. And the first one took about six months to hit and the next one took about six years to hit. So yeah, I'm grateful every day to be able to do this. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Because like you said, I think that's all of our goals as creatives is just to be like, this is what I do. This is who I am. Hmm. Do you remember like a distinct moment where you're like, I consider myself a, a full-fledged musician now. This is me. This is my life. This is what I do full-time. It probably coincided with moving to London. I moved to London to be a musician. I refer to myself as a full-fledged musician from that point. But, yeah, the actual point where I could really say, without any slight voice in my head, going, you're talking shit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, would be once I'd signed my publishing deal and it was like, okay, I have a wage set aside now. It's paying me every month. I just have to work, write songs, do this thing. I'm I'm legit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And my last question, which I don't even know how we got here. It's just been so nice chatting with you. It has. It really has. But my last question is, what would your advice be to a musician starting out wanting to pursue this professionally? Just keep working at it don't i guess it would be hone in on what you love most about music why you want to do it and just get out get yourself out there and do it do it and do it and do it and do it again and you work out what you want by doing it i think there's so much anxiety about putting yourself out there because it's a scary thing to do but you don't people don't search back 10 years on your videos really and and it doesn't really matter just you might get a few fans from that first youtube video you might You'll get a few fans at every bar that you play in where it sounds like no one's listening, every wedding. And and I get messages from those people, and they're my favorite fans now, uh, the ones who say, I remember you played my sister's wedding in 2015. Or I remember I saw you at 1 a.m. at an Irish bar singing Mr. Brightside, and I love your music now. And it's just, that's such a deep connection. And it's, they're, they're really hard. They're, they're invaluable, those connections and those fans, because... 
if you think of the X Factor or American Idol, not to like dump on those too much, but you get an instant audience. Let's say overnight almost, you suddenly have 20 million fans. It's like, when else does that ever happen? But there, so many of them, not everyone, but so many of them are so fickle that the next season comes around and they might not be your fans anymore because suddenly they're the next season's guys or girls fans. So they move. that's one type of fan, but there's a type of fan that digs deep and really gets into what you do. And, and you can pick them up in the strangest of places. <laughs> yeah, I would say do it. I would say my advice is get out there and do it and you'll work the rest out while you're doing it. Just don't be afraid. That's just like, that's it. Hit differently because honestly, I know that for so many creatives, they wonder, am I doing, am I doing this right? They, they seek that validation. But then when you find mm-hmm. somebody that you connect with and that's connected with something that you created, you're like, yeah, that's why I do it. This, this is the reason yeah. why I'm here. I feel like you have a purpose in this world. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, Certainly. it just hits differently. <laughs> Yeah, if you can move people with with what you're doing, whether it's whether you're writing, I don't just mean songwriting, any type of writing, or whether you're performing or or, or whatever you're doing, if you can, those human connections, um, they really make it worthwhile. That's what it's all about. So yeah, yeah, I think that's a good note. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, this has been so lovely. Why don't you go ahead and tell our listener where they can connect with Belmont, with your music, where they can find you on social media. Uh, yeah, so uh, we're on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, all of those. Um, and it's Belmont. I guess the, the most important thing is just to tell you how it's spelled, because if you know how it's spelled, then nobody's competing with us on Google. <laughs> but the problem is I picked this name, which is impossible to just <laughs> remember, it seems. But yeah, it's B-E-L-L-E um, and then space M-T. Um, so yeah, beautiful mountain, Belmont, Belmont, whatever you want to say. Um yeah, you'll find us. Facebook, Instagram, everywhere we should be, you'll find us. Matt, thank you so much for chatting with me. Thank you very much, Steph. Special thanks to Matt for being today's guest. I think the message I took away from his conversation is that as creators, we are here to create, to make others feel something, whether they're happy, they're sad. As long as they feel something, I think that's our purpose here as creatives. To learn more about Matt, visit the links in the show notes. Popner Lounge is a two-man operation, rather I should say two-women operation. It is executive produced by Steph Pham and V. Co. V. Co. serves as the show's creative director, and Steph Pham is the show's host and editor. You can find us on social media at Popner Lounge. For an easy, convenient hub of everything Popner Lounge, visit our website, popnerlounge.com. That's it for this week. Tune in next time for another conversation with a fellow creative. I'm Steph Pham.